when Shamrock Rovers got one back, tears came to my eyes. And we went two went up and I heard those thousands of Sligo people. I was proud and we went out and won. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. More drama here. Gilali. North. Elding. 3-2. They've been looking for Stenson's head away at the far post. And over it comes Elliot. Stenson! One more. This is episode, oh, I can't actually remember what episode it is. I think it's 24. 24. 24 of the Bitter Red Supporters Trust podcast. And we are coming to you from, what's that? It's Jack Bauer, is it? 24. Yeah, there you go. That's a shout from the past. (laughs) Uh, We're coming to you from um, uh, Zoom once more as we're all in our our own... um, our own houses uh, due to lockdown, but hopefully we'll get out of this soon enough. Um, yeah, so we've got a huge podcast for you. It's going to be a long one. We're just debating how we're going. To, we've just finished chatting to uh, the legend that is Joseph Vindo. He's going to feature as our well as our feature interview um, later on. And we spoke to him for about an hour, so we might chop it in two and do uh, one half this week and half two next week. We think that's the consensus. Um, as always, we're brought to you by the uh, White Hag Brewing Company from Ballymote, County Sligo. And we didn't give away uh, a case of beer uh, in the week just gone, have we? Uh, did we, we let that slip through? We gave one to Michael Mulvey for the the Drogheda game, but we didn't. We were that preoccupied and devastated on Monday night that we forgot to give one away. And oh, it, was truly, it was truly needed that night. Oh, yeah. Well, no, that's okay. We're, we're still on. We're only giving away one a week, I think. That's, uh, so oh, we're, well, on, okay. we're still on course. Yeah, we're still on course. Yeah. Um, okay, so Michael Mulvey. Yeah, I think I actually have to better do, do a bit of admin there and have to send on Michael's details to uh, the White Hag. However, um, so coming up on the show, as I said, um, we're going to. Uh, so we spoke to Joseph Adore. We have a great interview with him. He talks about his time in the World Cup. He talks about um, Sligo Rovers, uh, everything in between. <clears throat> so uh, we're going to talk. We're going to finish up the show uh, looking ahead to the game against um, Dundalk. Um, and as we finish the first round of games. But um, without further ado and without hanging around, um, we'll briefly talk about the result in um, in, in, Dun- in Drogheda. Um, I, I don't know about you lads, but um, I, I, feel, I always feel somewhat disappointed after most Rovers games. Um, either I feel that the performance could be better uh, or I feel that we've been shafted by an official or a referee or a linesman. And then a couple of hours later, I tend to kind of, I don't feel so bad about the, the performances. But uh, specifically, the, 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 the performance in Drogheda um, was very frustrating. I don't know how you felt about it, uh, Jerry. Um, yeah, it was, it was a little bit frustrating. Um, it, was a, it was a tough old game on a, on a small pitch. Um, in fairness, draw there probably a better team than most people thought, um, and it was never going to be easy. And on the balance of play, I think one all was a, was a fair result in the end. I know we we're kind of hanging on towards the end, but I think that was kind of down to uh, maybe the likes of um, uh, the centre midfield kind of getting a little bit overrun and tired. Yeah, Sean. At this stage in the game, though. Um, you know, people are saying we're playing a lot of games in short spaces of time, but we are the fully professional outfit and uh, Drahada are part-timers. So it, it shouldn't be coming to the argument as much. 
Look, I think the days of teams with part-time now are gone. Don't ever fully believe it. These teams aren't part-time. Dan Massey isn't a part-time footballer. You can be guaranteed of that. Um, look, I think I still think we're able to kind of we're, we have a small squad. I think we've kept a tight squad. And um, there's not a huge uh, case for rotation there and that. And we did try and rotate a little bit there against Strada, but. Sorry, I've just I've just muted Sean, but one of the himself. Can't blame there, you. There was some changes to um to the midfield. We saw Corley coming in, didn't we? And we saw who else came in the midfield? Blaney. Blaney, yeah. So there's a couple of changes there. Fresh legs. Yeah, um, but also like with the likes of Blaney, that was his first competitive game for us. So it was a tough one to come into, and he was due to tire, you know, come towards the end of it. So it, you know, it's a wee bit explainable. And they also made a tactical switch early in the second half, where they took in three into the into the midfield. I think that really made a difference for them. That's they really came in on after that. Um, Magoo, were you happy in the end with um, with the? So, so I never said it at the start. I should uh, introduce who we're speaking to. So I just heard from Sean Dunn there, and uh, we have Jerry O'Connor with us as well. I get to him in a second. Uh, but uh, Magoo, how how are you? Sorry, how are things? I'm Jim Connor and yourself. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to wedge this in here anyway. I don't care. Listen, um, <laughs> were you, were you, um, you know, people are going to say it's going to be a tough place to go. Are you going to, were you happy with the result at the end or did you feel that, um, you know, maybe the performance dropped off towards the end? Because Drogheda did dominate towards the end, didn't they? They, they certainly had more of the possession. Oh, they did, yeah, but as Sean said, that's the, the change they made at the start of the second half, well, a couple of minutes into the second half, um, whether it be uh, by chance or tactic, I can't remember if, if, if Lad went off injured or if Clancy actually made the switch, but it, it worked a treat anyway, whichever uh, way it was, because <clears throat> we were overrunning midfield then with the three against two, and then, especially then with, with Blaney, obviously, in his first start, he was always going to drop off anyway, so it did leave us overrun, so I was delighted to get out of it at the end with a point. But then before the game, he probably would have taken a point as well anyway. So, you know, drawing away from home is, <clears throat> in most instances, going to be a good result. And I think that's what I'm getting at. That's my point at the start, is that I felt frustrated after the game. I thought we should have performed better. But, you know, the cold light today, when you reflect on it, um, Jerry, you take the point. Yeah, all day long. Um, as I said to you, look, I think they're a better side than most people thought. Divided well during the, the close season, as Sean said there, with the likes of uh, Massey and uh, players like that so they have a lot of and I think I touched on it there previously they probably have more Premier Division experience than we have even though they've come up uh, just this season um, and just with Blaney as well I think you know look Sean said as well that's probably that's probably one of his first senior games in football ever um, and it was difficult for him to come in play centre field out of position so I think we don't we've done all right to get a point, um, and I was happy enough with that. What about what about the goal, uh, Sean? A, a bit of a goalkeeping error to allow um, to allow Chris Lyons in. Yeah, it was really uncharacteristic from Ed, to be honest, because it's one of the things I think we've all complimented on him is his commanding of the box and coming out and claiming crosses. So. To see him come out and you could just see he was flapping at it straight away. He was never getting to it and it just dropping down then and just a wee header into the six-yard area for Lions to, to pour home, really. So it was, it was annoying, but I think it was it was kind of the team of the evening for Eddie. He dropped an awful lot of balls that night. Yeah, he... Um, he, 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 uh, he, 
he found <laughs> found some of those high balls challenging. All right. Yeah. Um, listen, we 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 continue to score, Jerry, in 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 every game I think we've played so far this season. Um, maybe we're not um, we're not converting enough, but. It's it's hard to it's you can't keep out with the performance that Johnny Kenny's putting in and, and and his conversion rate at this stage. No, um, look, he didn't have a lot of in the last couple of games uh, he's played. He hasn't had many chances, and uh, what chances he has got, um, he's taken. Um, and you can see the striker's instinct in him. Going back to the Harps game where he you know he chased down the keeper, he just didn't chase him down. There was a bit of a bit of news to it, and then. Um, against uh, Drada. Um, I think the Drada keeper palmed one or two out just before that and he was there, you know, second or third time that he wasn't going to let the keeper get away with it and strikers' into instincts just kicked in. And look, um, and a lot of people are starting to say it now, you don't even look at his age anymore when you look at Johnny. Um, and and those instincts as well that we just I just spoke about there, you can't teach that stuff. That's just natural. There's no teaching that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Either have it or you don't, and he's just natural born born finisher. You'd like to see him getting uh, more chances, and I think, uh, and we're I know we're going to move on to to the um, the the next game uh, where Jordan played uh, number ten, and I think um, Johnny would have got more chances in in that game. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I tell you what. Well, on that right, we, we'll we'll take in um, shots in the shed and. Um, you can get your shouts from the shed into us if you want them played out on the um, the next podcast next week. Um, all you need to do is record a voice note, um, send uh, state your name, give us your thoughts on the game, um, say where you are, send it into podcast at borst.ie, and we'll get them on to uh, we'll get them on to next week's. Uh, podcast and we, we're really grateful for everybody who takes the time to record them um, so this is this week's Shout from the Shout End Hi everybody this is Fergal Gallagher with my Shout from the Shed End just want to say how much I'm enjoying watching Sligo Rovers play this season uh, especially the front four with uh, Jordan Gibson on the right taking on players Walter Figuera he's got great feet uh, Johnny Kenny's breath of fresh air and uh, Romeo Parks, of course, with his moments of magic. Uh, up the Rovers. Well, lads, Dave McGee, Ballastadair, my show from the shed end. Uh, starting to draw it again. I think it was it a great performance again. I think we shaded it and maybe had slightly better chances again without creating too much. I think we definitely missed Moran, uh, keeping the ball ticking over a little bit quicker in midfield. Although Blaney played quite well and was unlucky to be booked to say the least for that challenge absolutely nothing wrong with it uh, moving on to Pats is it a point gained or a point lost you probably would have took a point given their form before the game started seeing how it actually finished you know it, you have to look at it as two points lost I think overall with, with two games in three or four days it's it's not good enough two points out of six we should have six, really, when, when you think about it logically. Um, needs to be better. I think Romeo needs to be dropped. Maybe a change in shape further up the field. A false nine or a four-four-two. Get Kenny and Gibson right up top because they're both playing well. They both look lively and dangerous on the ball. Hi, guys. Ashton Casey here. I'm still bitterly disappointed over that equaliser last night. But 1-1 um, isn't the worst result in the world against a good Pats team. Uh, Bulger was man of the match for me. Um, I do think uh, Liam Buckley has to take some blame for that late equaliser with his questionable substitutes. 
there was no need to make substitutions that late and, and disrupt things. Bringing on Banks and Kenny were good substitutions. They played really well when they came on. It was good to see a glimpse of the old Banks um, from his first season with us. He was up and down the pitch and some brilliant passes into Kenny. Kenny as well was fantastic and just a bit unlucky not to have a goal. Um, I think overall we're third in the league. There's no team that is way better than us or untouchable. So I think if Romeo can step it up and we figure out the best front formation, we could go on a great run of games. So I think bring on Dundalk, um, I think we'll get the win and up the bit of red. Shout from the shed, Kiki O'Grady. Um, overall, disappointed, but still happy from um, the result in the Pats game tonight to concede in the 96 minutes is a bit disappointing. But look, when you look at the, how things stand now, where we are after one round of games, I think we'd all be happy where we, where we are. I think the back five were immense again last night. They've been great in every game. I can't really fault them. Uh, Mahan and Buckley especially. Um, I thought Jordan was ver- very good going at going at fellas um, I'd just like to see maybe if we could keep the front four the same for just one game just to see, one or two games just to see how it goes and not chopping and changing and moving them out and in the different positions um, probably will look this hopefully Johnny will start next week up front with Jordan in behind I think it might give um, the team a bit more go forward against Dundalk and hopefully we get three points against Dundalk this is Sean Rourke from America. Uh, to lose that pass game off of some dodgy refereeing and turning off for that corner was heartbreaking. Uh, but overall, I'd say excellent start to the season. Uh, Man and Buckley look great in the back. And uh, Bolger's just a class above everybody looks like Gibson I look pretty good in the 10 for most of the game and uh, Kenny's just been a revelation I'd say for Dundalk I'd like to see the same lineup only uh, bring Kenny in for Romeo and uh, swap places Gibson and uh, Walter Move Gibson out to the left, and uh, I think that would work. Up the Rovers. How are you, lads? Don Ryan here. Uh, this is my show from the shed end for uh, the games against Drogheda and St. Pat's. Uh, absolutely sick after that last-minute equaliser against Pat's. Uh, only for some questionable refereeing, we probably would have held on, although you can make an argument for our two subs made in injury time as well. Uh, I think Romeo needs to be benched for the next game. Uh, Kenny, you could see he offered us more in 10 minutes than Romeo did in 80. So I'd like to see him leading the line against Dundalk on Friday night. Uh, our second half performances are leaving a lot to be desired. Uh, we're kind of dying off in the games from about 65 minutes on. As you saw in Drogheda, they were the better team towards the end, I thought. But uh, against Pats, it was more of a case of them just throwing the kitchen sink at us, really. And... Um, but with all that said, I think third place with 16 points at, at this stage in the season now, after the first round of fixtures all played, uh, we'd, I'd say most of the fans would have bitten your hand off to be in that position at the start of the season before a ball was kicked. So we move up the bitter red. Hi there, Donna, McGill and Gerard, Andy Gibson here. Um, just wanted to very quickly um, give my thoughts uh, as you asked me to. And as I said before, my position 
as a player's dad does make it very difficult for me to uh, really uh, uh, make any, any comment. But uh, I'd just like to say really that guys are doing fantastically well. Uh, I do believe there's a lot of improvement that's still to come from the team. Just this, the, the positional style of play. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that are going to get better as, as the players come to form and uh, understanding of each other's play comes into it. Uh, certainly don't think we should beat ourselves up. I think we've done fantastically well against top two teams. We could have won both games against Shams and, uh, and Pats through the night. And their equalising goal, we've got to give credit, I think, at the end of the day. Whether it was a corner or not, I don't know, but um, fantastic piece of uh, corner uh, taken from the corner picker there. He got the ball right in the, in the area where it needed to be. Birmingham made a fantastic run to the uh, front post, which was crowded with six foot five players. And he got there, glanced it into the only place he could put it in the corner. Um, but as I said, I think there's a massive amount of improvement to come. Uh, I think my lad Jordan will do well if he gets uh, in that number 10 role, he'll, he'll develop and get better. Uh, Romeo will come to form, and Kenny, uh, anything could happen with that, with that young lad. So let's, let's be positive, let's go forward. Hopefully, we can take that form into Friday and uh, we'll have a good result Friday and get back in there. But yeah, lots to look forward to. Speak to you later, guys. Cheers. So we heard from um, Jordan Gibson's father there. Uh, he clearly wants to see his son in a more central role, uh, Sean. We saw a bit of that uh, against against Pats. What were your thoughts? Brilliant. I thought we. Uh, I thought it made the forward line look far more complete. I thought we were flu- more fluid together, especially and jumping on a bit ahead, especially when Kenny was introduced to the to the fold. I thought you really saw the fru- fruition of it all coming together there nicely. Um, but no, all in all, I thought he was brilliant. I thought. Uh, <laughs> Made some fantastic dribbles throughout the game, drifting by players and, you know, even earlier on, just, I think, within the first couple of minutes, I think in the second minute, second minute, he beats two, goes in on the byline, cuts back in and plays Bulger in. And Bulger just puts it over the bar. Like, he, he set the tone straight away with his performance, I thought. Yeah, Magoo, he, he, he worked things well for the penalty, didn't he? Oh, he did, yeah. They couldn't, they couldn't live with it. But that's, like... That's the, the, the beauty of him playing number 10, you see. He can go and find where the space is. He can go either way. Like So when the, when the play is down the other end or when it's developing up the pitch, he can spot where, where the space is going to be and get the ball. And once he starts running at you, like, well, I'd say as a defender, you're going to have to be t- you want to be tight to him. Like, so if he's able to drift around the place, he's going to be awful dangerous because once he gets turned and starts running, he's very hard to stop, as we've seen with the penalty. Like, he went two or three, but by two or three of them, like, yeah, so, I mean, is that what you want to see going forward? you want to see Jordan Gibson number 10? Well, I've championed him for uh, a, a while now. I thought he'd be... He'd be I think he was the first man to call it out on this one, he was. Yeah, funnily enough, though, you know, the, <clears throat> this this weekend, you might you could see him go back to the right with just for the simple fact of, like I was saying on Friday night, the only thing is when he's playing number 10, depending on the team you're playing, would you be able to get enough ball to him? in that area and if you have Chris Shields sitting in front of him it might restrict him a wee bit you could probably see him go back out to the right especially since he destroyed their left back in the first game of the season like could be but you could also you could also look at it this way as well McGill that maybe he was a little bit restricted because of what was in front of him in terms of our own personnel as in oh Romeo. yeah 100% yeah yeah you know, oh, definitely yeah when you have someone not making the runs or not showing or trotting around, 
that makes that number 10's position a lot harder. And yeah. I think well, if if you had Johnny playing on the shoulder and, and, and get getting in behind, I think he'd have a lot more uh, he'd get a lot more service from uh, from Gibson. Um, just, um, I would, was that, it's actually funny enough sorry I was just going to say funny enough there was I think the first chance that passed God at the weekend was was Gibson played a lovely little ball around the corner into Romeo looking for the 1-2 and Romeo's pass was off or whatever it, 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 it missed him anyway and it ended up with burying in his header remember the header he had yeah, yeah, close, yeah terms, but, very close yeah. <clears throat> it came from that just with your surgery no, it's not you know not the not linking up up top like that was yeah, a constant. Yeah. That was a constant theme from Romeo throughout the game, though. Is whenever a ball was played into him, it was either a terrible touch, or if he did play it in under, take it in under control, he was constantly turning back into trouble. Where the obvious pass was on out wide, or even just give it, tap it back to Gibson and play the play the quick one too, and just keep the movement flowing up top. Yeah. Whereas he slowed everything down. He t- he took it into the into the wrong areas, and then he had to turn back on himself, and then play the the pass that was on in the first place, like maybe a wee ball out to Mark Byrne. Stuff like that. he slowed it down completely. I thought he was. I thought he was atrocious the other day. To be honest with you, yeah. um, word. So I think we we've got a team coming up here that are, we've a topic we need to talk. Can come in one point there, just on Gibson before we finish up on him. Yeah. That's on, yeah. okay. And it's just coming from the the interview with Joey um, there, and you know, Joey spoke about how people, you know, how you because he was so strong that it made him a better player, and people used to ask him, "How are you so strong?" and so on. And he kind of went into detail about it, like, um, you know, how we'd done a session in the morning, then he, uh, with, with the team, and then he'd done his own gym session, then he'd done the rollers and all this thing. So he'd done so much work to kind of build himself up and give him that strength. I think that, and this is kind of coming on back the back of what uh, Sean said recently, that he could be probably be in the top four players in the country. I think that Jordan Gibson, actually, you could turn him into Joey and Doe. I think he's got all the attributes of him. The only thing I question him is his body strength. And that's something I suppose that you can you can gain. And I wonder if he wants to really set himself as a top, top player and, and get back to the UK. Maybe that's something he should, you know, that's attainable for him. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 um, it's a bit it's, left field, but. No, I think oh, I don't, I, he, he wants to play number 10. He doesn't want to play left field, Jerry. You yeah. got to remember that. Yeah, I'd agree with it, Jerry, to be honest. Yeah. 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 So, well, yeah. I guess it's all it's all, it's all, all there for him. Um, listen, we were kind of lucky as well. Um, I know we need to kind of race through this because we're pushed for time, but we were kind of lucky as well. Um, just after that Birmingham chance, um, Magoo Coughlin had that sitter that... So, you know, at the end of the game, we were as disappointed as we were with the, with the draw, but... The, the the sitter that Cochrane missed, we were very lucky there, really, weren't we? We were, and funnily enough, it came from another <laughs> Romeo loose ball, I think, although not directly from it. I think he gave the possession back to Pats, and they might have, they could have put 10 or 12 passes together, like so there was a bit of a passage of play in between, but it, it that still led to it, of us losing the ball. And But McGinty done well, actually, for Cochrane's chance, because it was a great ball in by Forrester. And yeah. uh, McGinty came out, Cough and tried to put it through his legs, and McGinty got it. He was out quickly on him, got enough on it, and then Buckley behind him, um, clearing it up, then stopped it roll, trickling over the line. It was yeah. and just on, the, just on that, just sorry, just before John uh, Buckley, if if I just say if Pico Lopez had given the performance that Buckley gave the other night, 
they wouldn't <laughs> stop talking. They wouldn't have been stopping talking about it since. Yeah. Like the man was apart from the defending uh, part of it, like himself and man were unbelievable. But the man was doing drivebacks. He was putting between people's legs. At one stage, he done a Van Dyke on it, and he he took a ball down the sky with his head for himself. He headed it over a fella and go around the other end of it, and then dragged it back around Cochrane. Like he was just, it was it was only when I watched bits of it back, like I didn't watch the whole game back because it was torture because I knew what was coming in the end. But there was just bits and pieces. There was just bits and pieces of it that you look back on, like and you say, Jesus Christ, it was outstanding. Like literally, yeah. thinking if that was a chance for it, they wouldn't have stopped talking about it since. Yeah, yeah, well, we're very, we're very, we're very fortunate position to have someone of his quality. Sean, yeah, do you want to jump in there? No, I was just on that chance, the the Cochrane chance. Um, I'm going to let Romeo off the hook a little bit here because it actually comes from a, a Walter clearance where he he skies the ball completely. He tries to get, he tries to volley a clear and he skies it completely and it actually lands. It lands for Forrester, but Walter doesn't actually, he makes a bit of a mess of it completely because he goes to press Forrester, but he only half-heartedly presses him and it leaves a simple pass open for, um, I think it was Smith, out, yeah, out wide right. And McCord has him, has him closed down, but Walter goes chasing that pass out to Smith as well. So he, it's like they're doubling up on him and it just leaves Forrester open in space for the easy ball for Smith and then they play it in behind. It just, just little things like that were just, Walter needed to be a wee bit more switched on. If he had pressed Forrester initially properly, he would have cut off that pass, and that chance wouldn't have been wouldn't have been available for Cochrane. Okay, so ninetieth uh, minutes. Um, how, how are we going to approach this conversation here? So, like ninety minutes, four minutes goes up on the board. It's four minutes out of time. Um, at what stage is there the Ferrari about the free kick? This is or not sorry about the throw in, and it was a throw in that. The referee Doyle was standing over, wasn't he? Yeah. So, so, so uh, the linesman flags allegedly uh, for Rovers throwing, but the, is the linesman on the opposite side of the pitch? No, he would have been further down the line. He's, he's the same side, but in the other half. Right, but so, but Doyle is, is on top of it, so Doyle must have the clearest view of what's going on. No. When you watch it back, you can actually see that it's a clear Rovers throw. Yeah. So, so it's, it's to beyond... be fair, though. To be fair, whatever it is, we still have to defend that corner, and we don't do it yeah. well. Enough. Okay, not even not even the corner, Sean. From from that throw in, yeah, it's it's a minute of play, pass of the ball for a minute before they before they yeah. get a corner. So we have a whole minute of to try and disrupt their play, give away a cynical free kick at their half, do you know the usual stuff? Yeah, before yeah. and then then defend the corner, obviously as well. So, but so the throw in happened in ninety two minute ninety two, I think, and ninety three. 93 and the subs come on maybe 60 seconds later so is there is there any responsibility no, on no. no 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 the throw is the throw is like the second last action before the before yeah. the goal Collie was involved in it why he just yeah. come on the throw comes into play and the yeah. ball is played in over the top and Blaney misjudges his jump yeah, yeah. He, he misjudges his jump caught under. he gets yeah. caught underneath I don't I was the ball. I was doing him an injustice the night by saying that he couldn't let he couldn't let the cop no, no, so he, no, no. he had to make an attempt first. Yeah, because, and he just gets caught. He misjudges the flight of the ball. He gets caught underneath it, and it actually comes off the the top of his top. head and just out for the corner. He's yeah. unlucky. So, he's unlucky, and he's very unlucky. unlucky. He's very yeah. unlucky. Like someone said on the the show the night, why why did he head the ball out for a corner? He didn't want to head the ball out for the corner. No, he's he got better. caught underneath. It was just he was pretty unlucky. And look. Uh, I don't know. I think our own fans can be a bit. Look, I know we're, we've kind of given Romeo a bit of a hard time, and 
but that's not just after one game. Like I think our own fans give our own players the managers. But, but hold, on, hold on a minute, Jerry. Let's just go back to the substitutions. Like I don't, I don't blame, I don't blame um, um, Blaney for for conceding the corner. He came no. on, maybe he, he, he's played very few minutes. Um, listen, he, he he's got to do, what he's got to do, goes out for a corner. But I would question when the substitutes were being made. I said to myself before the goal was being scored, I said to myself, yeah. why would you add this jeopardy to the situation um, with such little time to play and like I, I just, I just thought. But is it that big of a jeopardy that you that's, that that caused that goal? Like we're blaming, we have to. Look, I know I might be blaming the linesman, but the linesman made a mistake. It's not a mistake. You could say it's a mistake to make the substitutions too, but it's not that big of a jeopardy to make that substitution that would lead to the goal. Like the the referee got the decision wrong. Simple as that, and that changes the course of play. The subs are made, and nobody questions it. And everybody's question, well, not everybody, a lot of people are questioning the substitution now. It's not that big of a jeopardy. I know we still need to, to, to defend the corner, but it shouldn't have got that far. And we're right, we're, we're justified to, to complain about uh, Neil Doyle. He made the wrong decision again. And he, in the opening game of the season, and I know we've said this before, in the opening game of the season, he quite categorically said it to the backroom staff, the Sligo Rovers, that he did not want to overrule the linesman. He knew it was a mistake to rule out Mark, Mark uh, Byrne's goal. Now, is that not just making it up as you go along or suiting yourself or suiting your agenda? In my book, it is. And, and we again, can go out with substitutions and all that. But the man in the middle rules the game. And by God, does Neil Doyle rule the game because he wants it about him. But Jerry, it's not even um, it's not even an injustice just to Sligo Rovers. Pats can feel hard done by in that game as well because Gary Buckley should walk in that game. Gary Buckley makes another cynical foul in the second half and he does and he plays advantage on it. And I think the game runs by and he nearly forgets about the, ch- the tackle that's made. And the fact, I forget who yeah. it was. I think it was Coughlin maybe he tackled. I forget exactly. But he doesn't. the player doesn't make a big deal about the tackle itself. He clips him from behind. He doesn't win the ball. It's a, it's a second yellow card. It's a bookable offence. And he gets away with it. And I know even I've seen a couple of Pats fans online and they were screaming about that as well. So, oh, like it's a, it's yeah. a complete it's a complete shit show of a referee in performance. Yeah. He was absolutely brutal. And again, as you say, it's the it's the Doyle fucking show again. It's it's pathetic at this stage. And the referee in the game before that was just as bad in fairness. Yeah. Um, so it's not just for us. But there's I'm just after pointing out two big uh, decisions that have cost us what four points against the top two teams. Um and they're made by the same same referee. I don't give a flying hoot if Pat's fans feel aggrieved that Buckley should have been sent off. I don't care. But what I care about is the same referee has made two huge... I, I don't even know if the arrows, But he's cost us a lot of money <laughs> in a tight, tight league. Those four points, you know, that's a lot of, that's, that's a lot of points, a lot of money. I don't know. Yeah. And it's, look, there's a common denominator. I know they're all shit, but he's... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was being debated then about the, just the general standard about of refereeing across uh, across the league. I don't know. Did somebody say it in? I don't know. In one of the WhatsApp groups we're in, somebody said that their uncle or their cousin is a, a Sunday league ref in in the UK. Well, Keith was saying this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Keith McGill, yeah, was it? And he said that on a regular basis they get workshops from Premier League and EPL referees, um, you know, on the rules, and it's just a kind of a little boost to. You, you know, you know, getting these workshops from these top level referees. 
you know, how can where where's the room or where's the scope for that to happen in our game? I suppose you know because we're coming from such a, well, a low. B- well, well, Neil Doyle is our top referee, isn't he, in the country? So yeah. is he classified as the top workshop? Yeah. So if he's giving the workshop, what hope did the fucking rest of them have? Like, yeah, that's the main Stunt. man. That's, that is that's a fact. He's the main man. Sad, sad thought. Yeah. Um. Okay. So anything else to say in the past game? Johnny Kenny coming on, game changer for us. I thought uh, if he had been introduced sooner, I thought he would have been better. And I thought he was excellent when he came on, and it really did. That okay. that forward line looked far more fluid with him in it. So I think I think that's we'll, we'll we'll leave that point there, Sean, and we'll we'll pick up the the Dundalk game on that on that note about maybe what that forward line is going to look like. Um, so we. Um, it's episode 24 of the Better Red Supporters Trust brought to you by um, the White Hag Brewing Company with thanks to Barry Creed, Sisters in Sligo in Dublin also. Um, so listen, let's get stuck into the Joey interview. Um, we spoke to him at length and as I said at the top of the show, um, we cover lots of topics and um, a, a huge period of his career. So I think we're going to split this into two halves. Uh, I don't know exactly where we're going to split it. So I don't know exactly... Um, but you, know, you do get the World Cup. You get his World Cup experience in this half, and you probably get more of a Sligo Rovers experience in uh, in next week's uh, show. So um, here he is, um, the special one, uh, not the special one. Um, some people call him God. It's Joseph and Doe. <laughs> and I am delighted to say that we are in, we are joined by uh, Sligo Rovers royalty, Mr. Joseph and Doe. How are you, Joey? Good. I'm good. Thanks. Thanks. Good. We got to see you recently uh, on our, when well, we got to hear you more so on um, on um, coverage, recent coverage of Sligo Rovers games. So uh, it was great to see you on our camera and hear you on our TVs again. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. We're going to cover uh, a lot of stuff over the next 20 minutes to 30 minutes. So who knows? So we'll start <laughs> oh, things 10 off. Minutes. Our, our 10 minutes. <laughs> so we'll start things off. Um, with the World Cup in '98, I think because um, it's it was your introduction to European football. Um, I think you just left, so you you started playing football obviously in uh, Cameroon. Um, but um, t- I suppose tell us about your experiences in the World Cup '98. Uh, you just burst onto the international scene around that time as well. You didn't have many caps before that, did you? No, no, no. But that's why they call it experience. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> <laughs> because my, my struggle um, helped me to um, be able to handle any any situation. Any, uh, uh, so I remember I used to tell my friend that uh, the day I'm going to have a chance to, um, to play national team, um, that will be in World Cup. And um, when it happens, you know, it's, of course, years later, it looks a little bit strange when people talk about it, but for me, it was just the, the continuation of the plan I have for my career. It's all about uh, opportunities. You know, that, that's why I always say, for me, the, the main thing is life is opportunities. It's not uh, equality, because we are not equal anyway. Some people are are better, are more better looking than others. <laughs> what are they gonna do? <laughs> you, can, you cannot do anything else. But I think it's opportunity. And when I had that opportunity, I knew that uh, if I have to, uh, if I have to um, do it, 
the way other people want me to do it, uh, I would not enjoy myself. So I have to enjoy myself and, and I did. That, that's why for me it's strange when someone talk, talk to me about the World Cup, because for me it was just a game like another one. So, so the World Cup and your experience there playing uh, against Italy, um, play, and France is one of the great World Cup competitions as well. That, so you, I, what you're saying is it, that doesn't have any more significance for you than playing with Slugger Rovers or St. Pat's? No, because let, let's say if the World Cup is, I would say, more important, uh, that means that um, I didn't play with the football. It was something else. You know, I, I enjoy playing the World Cup as much as I enjoy playing with my friends. It never been something different. And maybe also because of uh, the kind of pressure I've always been under. So that means that there, there, is, there is not too much different for me to play in World Cup or to play against my friends because they were so talented that uh, every, every game for me was like a World Cup because you have to prove yourself. And if you don't, the whole week, you're going to hide because <laughs> they're going to tease you. They're going to do everything. And for me, it's all about enjoy. I, I don't, I never see a pressure. Uh, I always put myself in the standard where I can perform and make people happy. And also, maybe you have to understand that I'm coming from a background where my dad was an entertainer. And I saw him, how he was able to handle a huge crowd uh, with joy. Uh, I follow him many times on his shows. And maybe that's why I was able to, uh, uh, to do that, because you have to understand, you think it's easier <laughs> to, play, uh, uh, to play in the showground. It's not easy. It's not easy. So at least in the World Cup, you know, uh, <laughs> but you play in the showground with those fans. It's not easy. It's not easy. So, but I had that when I was younger, where you have every time in training, you have thousands and thousands of fans coming watching training, and everyone um, want you to play a different way. And I think that also built my character because I have to define who I am early age, I have to understand that uh, falling is part of the process. Uh, mistakes is part of the process. And that's also humble me because sometimes when you think you are too talented, uh, you don't listen to people. Uh, you think that um, the world is for you, but to go as high as possible, you need that humility to say, you know what, you may be a great player, but there's always greater than you. And I think that pushes you to work harder and also to appreciate your teammates. And I think that that's the key on everything because why am I enjoy the World Cup? Because of my teammates, because they trust me. If someone doesn't trust you, you don't have the ball. If you felt that, oh no, this guy, there is no point. You will never have the ball. So that, that's why I, I don't see too much difference. Uh, but as a fan, 
because that's something happened to understand also as much as I was a player, I also as a fan, understand the amplitude of the World Cup. But as a player, for me, it was just another game. Joey, did, would you think that mentality you had of treating the World Cup the same as playing a game with your friends, did that allow you to play with the freedom you did as you didn't create the same pressures throughout the, in your career that way? It was just you played on a level line as such. Yeah, of course. But like I say, it's that very young. You know, it, it was always like going to games. Um, it's always before the game, dancing, chanting. So it wasn't like you're going to play for your life, but you're going to play for your life. <laughs> but you have to understand it. That's something you choose to do. And you, you have to be able to express yourself. You have to be able, because for me, I always felt that I have a gift to bring people together. I have a gift to give people smile. So, and when you have it, and you don't show it, I think it's a crime. Personally, I think it's a crime because when you have a gift who can help other people uh, to feel good about themselves, uh, you have to express yourself. Just uh, quickly there, Joy, you said um, when you were growing up, you were practicing in front of thousands of people. Um, was that, tell me a little bit more about that. Was that uh, because people thought that this guy was uh, particularly good or was it a part of the national team or what, what was that about? Uh, I'm talking, I'm talking uh, about that with, um, on the show I'm doing Blessed. I'm, I'm going details on that one because I felt that instead of writing a book, I'm going to just do a videos. Uh, then you will not pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he um, you know, he, uh, he strengthened me as a person because I always felt that I've learned more in football than in life. Um, the, the thing I've been exposed to when I was 18, 19, that's something in real life you can experience when you are 29, 30. So in the early age, I have to make it or break it. That, that was simple. So you are exposed first on what we call competition. Everyone wants to play. Um, the fan who's coming towards the training, uh, they want their player to play. So it's not something who's easy to take. You, you, your personality has to be very high. And when you're a young player in the team, that's, that's another situation because in our tradition, the respect of elders is so huge, so, so huge. Like I couldn't speak when the senior player were speaking. And that also allowed me to, um, to learn when to speak and when not to speak, to understand that I'm not the smart one in the room, that's for sure. So of course it was tough because at first you go in the group and uh, you try to um, 
impose yourself and then you find out that, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm not on that level yet. And then you have the fan who, when you have 2,000, 3,000 people coming watching training, you, you can understand the pressure you have. Like, I remember we used to play uh, 11 v 11 every Thursday. <laughs> and that was World Cup. Because the tackle who were going, <laughs> everything, because that, that game, uh, the team on Sunday, because we used to play on Sunday, the team, the starting 11 and the bench will be picked up after that game. So it was, I would say, almost war because the game was, the game was easier. It's, and when, when, you, when you get used to that, you don't need anybody telling you or giving, pressing you or anybody who gonna, I would say, uh, motivate you because that start to be just natural. And that, that, was, that was part of my life. You know, that's why I say I've learned so much in football than in life. So um, just to finish up on the World Cup, I mean, I know, I know you, you, don't, um, you don't have it in a, any higher position than any other part of your career, but do you have an outstanding, uh, do you have an outstanding memory from, from that particular tournament? Oh yeah, you know the, the the organization. You get the airport. Everything is open for you. You know the um, the hotel. Everything is organized the way that uh, they treat you like uh, royalty. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Um, and then I remember that in our training session, we have a Cameroonian fan who were singing for two hours. That that was amazing. And then from the hotel to the stadium, it was about half an hour. And for half an hour, we were singing, dancing in the bus. That's the thing you cannot forget. We were in the dressing room, keep dancing, chanting. And the game was amazing because I was, I, I, I was playing against people I was watching on TV two months ago. So, so it's, it was amazing. <laughs> like, I, I remember I, I, when we played against Italy, Roberto Baggio, oh, it was my, it, the guy, like, I used to watch him every Sunday. I said, oh, Baggio, Baggio, I'm going to play against Baggio. Can you imagine? But that was that was before the game. When the game started, I forget about Baggio <laughs> and Maldini. I play against Maldini. Please listen, you, you have to understand where it's coming from. Maldini. Can you imagine Maldini in front of me? The little guy from Cameroon. And then suddenly has Maldini. Look at him. I say, what? Maldini. But then when they left. We said, I say, okay, Maldini, I'm going to show you now. I love you, but I'm going to show you now. So how, how did you, like, 
I won't focus on the negative uh, results for you in the game, but how did you stack up player against player? Um, like, was it, did you have issues of confidence, or were you ready to ready to go? And and after the game, you know, did you feel that Joseph Van has a place in world football now? I always felt that for me, I never. I would say the the manager gave me gave me that. Um, that opportunity I was saying, and I, I was just making sure I don't let him down. Because sometimes we focus on the people who don't cross us, the people who don't love us. And you can see even um, on social media, if, if you have a social media and you post something and you have thousand people who like it, and you have maybe two or three who's telling you that <laughs> that's not good enough, you're going to focus on the two or three. And you're going to say, why? Why thousand people say it's good and then the two. So in my life, I tried to focus on the people who gave me opportunity, the people who love me than the others. And when I, at the end of the World Cup, for me, it wasn't now I succeed because my main target always been to play football. It doesn't matter who is to play football. If I'm in the World Cup, good. But it's to play football and try to be the best I can be. So the World Cup wasn't, I will say, my main target. My main target was to play football, to enjoy myself, and to play as long as possible. Yeah. So um, you went to Saudi Arabia, I think. And you Sorry, went to... that's 10 minutes now. <laughs> I think we've only we've only just begun we've only just begun so um you 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 traveled around you went to the middle east and you played yeah, in, in dubai China. in dubai yeah um so how did you end up in dublin how did that come about um it was pats right yeah but it was i i i went in england uh, on trials in the um, in the club there, and everything went fine, but I couldn't have a work permit. What club? And um, so then I went in China. So now the the agent who uh, who bought me in in UK um, because I wanted to come back in Europe because of my family. To be fair, I love I, I love China. I felt that. The, the league and the, the organization were top class. But family-wise, my family wanted to back in Europe, so I called him to say, listen, I want to come out in Europe. And that's how Ireland came. Was it Coventry in England? No Joseph. comment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was Coventry. And was that, do you, do you feel that that was a Big missed opportunity, or is it Silvi? So, is Lego a missed the opportunity? Because if you see that as a missed opportunity, I wouldn't be in Lego. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So you 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 follow you follow your destiny. Sometimes you want things we don't need. That's the way I see it. So for me, the main thing is if I'm in. If I'm in the place, so that means I have to be there. Even I don't like it, but there is a reason I have to be there. So, you know, when you spoke about the, the uh, structure of 
Chinese football, um, you know, then you go to Ireland and maybe the, the maybe the structures aren't as robust as they were in China. But what was the attraction to to Shelburne initially and Ireland overall? No, I think my, my main target was to stay in Pat because when I first signed for Pat, um, we have, I think, Eamon um, Collins as a manager. Uh, the club, it wasn't as professional as I used to see in France, in, in Dubai, in China. Um, but the good thing is that I'm capable of adapting adapting on any situation. Even, even I felt they can do better. But the good thing, like in part, it was I have a close relationship with the chairman. So I was able to tell him a little bit, you know, we have to improve this, we have to improve this. So because sometimes here, uh, the club, they, they think that to be professional, you need money. No, you need idea. You can have money and spend it um, for something was unimportant. So you need idea, you need structure. And just to tell you, just um, a quick example is that when I signed in 2010, um, there were not a structure in terms of players because um, in France or other country I play, you have someone in the club who's looking after player uh, accommodation, player's family, player booking, uh, if he has to open an account. So you have someone who's there for that. And here in Sligo, we didn't have it. So I come first in contact with um, um, Ivor Park. And I start to talk to him. I start to talk to the club to say, listen, for us to attract better player, we have to offer them what they don't have in the other, other, other team. And if we have someone who can facilitate those kind of things for them, we're going to sign better player. So it's just a quick thing I have to say. Then uh, I never planned to leave, Pat. It just... One day something happened, I went in training and then uh, Eamon Collins just said, you know what, that's it, I'm leaving. Well, what happened? Uh, no explanation, uh, but I'm in football for, I was, I was in football for so long that I know when someone is making a decision, you know exactly what he's talking about because I think two or three weeks later, then we get a, a call in the club. Some players say the club has some difficulties, financial, and then if someone has an offer, you are free to go. And, um, I didn't have an offer, but apparently the club have an offer from Shelbourne and from another club that I will not so don't ask me which club <laughs> <laughs> and um, the club told me listen uh, Joe you have to go because we cannot pay you and I say okay 
but it wasn't my plan to leave. Like I, ne I, I never really want moving club to club. And to be fair, if Eamon Collins never left Pat, I would have stayed there till now. Because also as a manager, I think we understand each other. He built the team around me. And that's something I didn't have a lot in my career because I have to adapt to others. I always have to adapt. And when you have someone who build a team around you, oh, so that means every piece is going to be based on the way you play. But it happens, and I signed for, for Shelburne. So like when, when you arrived into the League of Ireland, I think fairly quickly you, you won Player of the Year, did you? Um, no, I, I won, I think, um, two years later in okay. 2006. Yeah. But um, yeah, so you, you, were making a, you were making a statement um, in the league. So um, wh what led to, how did the move to Sligo come about? Who d did, um, did you feel that, um, did you, well, I presume you felt that Paul Cook was putting, you know, driving the club in the right direction. Um, was it an obvious move for you? Was it an easy move for you? Um, or was it just one of these things that just happened in your career again? You already answered the question. Like, what can I say? Paul Cook. <laughs> <laughs> no, but listen, I didn't know much about Sligo. And to be fair, I never won sign for Sligo. That, that's the truth. Um, I remember my last year in Bohemian. I was, I would say, a little bit disappointed because my goal always, my goal to win the league is to play in Europe. That, that's, what, that's why when I start the season, my goal is to play in Europe. I, I never want to win title to have them as I would say on my CV, they, I, I want this, I want this, I want this. No, there is a goal. Why I want to win the league is to play in Champions League. That was the goal. Um, and that I have to, I have to ask myself, am I going to play Champions League with the squad we had? So I have a chat with Pat Fenlon and I love Pat because for me, he's a, one of the greatest person I know. Um, uh, you know, the guy, you, you don't find those kind of manager is he has your back. And when I say has my back, it has my back on. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like, you don't, there is a lot of people. You can count how many people in football you can cross. You can count. And that guy, the guy, I can trust the guy with my family. And that, that's why I love to play for him. Because a personal level, I can count on him anytime. And near the, the end of the season, sat down and said, listen, I'm not sure I'm going to sign. I'm going to sign. I'm not sure. Because I want to play in Champions League. I don't want to go win another league knowing that we have no chance to play in Champions League. Because my, 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 always my vision or my philosophy was we're talking about um, getting 
better wages. We're talking about bringing people into stadium. How can we do that by winning the league every year? Because anyway, in some point, the fans are going to look at, they're going to get used to, and they're going to stop coming. There's a one thing we'll keep the fan all the time alert is Europe all the time. And when you offer them big games, then they will come even in the small games in the league. And that's the vision the club, they don't have. So when he goes there, I was uh, 33, I think, 33, 32, 33. And I have to make a decision. Say, do I continue to win the leagues and with no chance? Because I know we have no chance. And then the other hand, Pat Fenlon didn't have the resource that he wants to bring players. And that was a difficult situation. And I say, no, I have to, I have to stop there. I cannot sign again. So I have a chat with, uh, with Sligo. <laughs> but the funny thing is maybe two weeks or three weeks or four weeks uh, before, the, uh, before the end of season, I have a chat with Paul Cook. But it wasn't like a chat because I have Boko on the phone. You know, and uh, Boko called me one day. I was after training. He called me to say, "Hey, brother, how are you?" Blah 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 blah. You know, and then <laughs> and then he he told me in French that listen, uh, the man here he wants to talk to you, but uh, he, he doesn't want to do like he wants to talk to you. <laughs> so he asked me to call you, and then I'm gonna do like. <laughs> But he was, he, he was talking in French, so Paul could understand, you know. And, and um, so, and then he say, and then he say in English, hey, listen, hey, Paul Cook is there. He wants to say hello to you. So he gave the phone to Paul Cook, and then Cook, he get the phone. How are you, Joe? How's, how's life? How's life? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, yeah, it's good. I'm good. Oh, you're doing well. Well done, man. So for Paul Cook, he was the first contact. You know, and then when when they uh, when they called my advisor to know uh, my advisor Frank O'Neill to know um, what was my intention, so they have a chat, and they couldn't agree on anything. So I just say uh, no. So I shut down completely. And just to tell you, that's why I think for me that is where my faith come into play because I always believe that uh, Jesus won me in certain place and not in others. And when I shut down Sligo, everything was shut down. Everything, like everything, like I, I had a meeting with clubs, we agree. And then two days later, they called me to say, sorry, we cannot sign you. Serious, <laughs> it was like, and I went, I went like that for three months. <laughs> then, um, Frank O'Neill, my advisor, came, came to me again and said, listen, Joey, you asked me to find you a club where you're going to express yourself. You, tell, you told me exactly the kind of club you want for the next part of your career. And I'm telling you, it's Lego. And so I watched 
Flygo play. I don't remember. I think they were playing Dublin. So I watched them play. And then I saw Richie Ryan. Oh. Oh. I say, what is it? Oh. How good. How good. Genius. Genius. But they need someone. <laughs> he needs someone. So that was the decision. When I saw that, I said, yeah, okay, that's it. I will sign. And so we had a meeting in Dublin with uh, Frank O'Neill, uh, Paul Cook, um, Fergal, I think Fergal, he was, I think, yes, Fergal, I don't remember his name, and Demo Kelly. Uh, I think that's it. It was, and it was funny because <laughs> Demo Kelly started to talk about Sligo, how Sligo is this, how Sligo is that, how they want this, how they want that. And I'm sitting there and thinking of, come on, man, I just won the league with, with Bohemians. What are you talking about? <laughs> but the guy was so in love with his club that is it, like it was selling Barcelona. Like he was doing everything to convince me. But what he didn't know is that when I left, when I left my house, it was to sign. Like I didn't care about the money. I didn't care like in my head, it was a decision. That is where you're gonna sign. Because everything I'm doing before I'm doing, I'm praying and after that praying, I was convinced that that's it, that, that's it where you're gonna sign. So the money and everything, that wasn't important for me because I knew that there is something bigger behind that. And so when he started talking, tried to convince me selling this, 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 this. In some point I want to tell him that, come on, man, I play World Cup. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Just give me the papers. <laughs> But I'm serious, he spoke about Sligo for an hour. <laughs> for an hour, he, like the achievement, what they done, what this, what that, what that. And I love his passion, I love it. And when he finished, I said, okay, where's the paper? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way I signed. So, I mean, well, I think, did you only play with Richie for a year? Uh, two years. Two years, and um, obviously Richie left, but um, you still had faith in the project. You could still see um, it was progressing in the right direction. No, I didn't. I didn't sign because of Richie. But uh, when I saw Richie play, I saw someone. Yeah, no, I, who, uh, a pure talent. Yeah, pure talent. But he didn't have people around him who understand his his, his game, and. The, the, I remember the first game after I signed, I, I didn't play that game. It was against Bohemian. Every time Richie has the ball, the player wanted the eye contact before they make the move. But that's not Richie. Richie sees you before you make the move. In fact, before you think you're going to make the move, he already sees the move you're going to make. And I told to, uh, I think two of, uh, of our attacking players say, do not look at him. He look at you. It's not you look at him. Make your own, he's gonna have that ball. So that, that's what I'm saying how <clears throat> a little 
change can make a huge difference on someone's career. So Richie was, and you know, it's true people say what they say about me, what I bought in, in, in Slego, but Richie brought something. I don't think people really appreciate what Richie brought. Because you have to understand, when I signed, for the other players, I was in another level. Like what I was doing, they felt that they cannot do it anyway. He play World Cup, he done this, he done this, he won this. So for them, no, we are not in the same level. But the way they were seeing Richie, they were in the same level because they socialized together, they were together, they were bonding together. And it was one game in Dublin, I think against uh, Bohemians. And after the game, after the team meeting, I have a chat with Richie one-to-one. And that chat changed everything. Changed everything. Because it was two guys who really um, love each other, appreciate each other, respect each other. And we were fun to each other. And then we have to, we have to pull him to say, listen, we can do something special, but we have to be at the highest, 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 top shape, top level, top our game. And the order is gonna follow. And what Richie done is he changed, I think he changed his whole life. Um, and that's why we were able to play the way we play, because why? When the other saw Richie, they all followed. They didn't follow me because they felt that, no, I'm so special. And that's, that's sometimes difficult. But when they saw what Richie, the way Richie was there to conduct himself, the shape Richie, the training Richie were doing, you know what? We start to see players staying after training. So as much as I bought something, but I think the contribution, the, the contribu Richie Rich Ryan contribution, Sligo, is huge. Unfortunately, people don't see it because that's not something people see often, but I, I thank the guy, I thank the guy all the time first. I thank him because he trusts me. And secondly, because he brought all the squad, all, all, the, all his teammates who were working with him, who were um, socialized with him, he didn't let them behind. He brought them with him, with him on that level. And I think that's so important because me, I, I never went to have a tea or a cup of tea or sandwich with the boys, no. And it's not because I, I, I don't love, I love them. I love the boys. But me, I get used to focus on my game, training, training, home, training, training, home. I get used to it. I know that I have nine months to do it every time. Then I'm going to have maybe a few weeks to enjoy. But it was training, extra training, because I, in my early age, I always understood that the training I'm doing with my teammate will never make me special. It may make me good, but not special. 
To be special, I have to develop my own skill. So I have to dedicate time to do that. And it takes hours and hours. You have to work on injury prevention. You have to work on the skills because sometimes you see me do skills, but behind the scene, it took me hours to practice, 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 because the main thing is what is in every skills, it has to be natural. Like I shouldn't think twice before doing skills. If I think, I will not do it because sometimes it's scary. And sometimes what I'm doing, even myself, I look at it, I say, oh, that's too much. But what Richie was able to do in that dressing room, I cannot thank him enough. What? I owe him, I owe him a big part of Sligo success. Okay, that's five, five Joseph Endo. Um, that's Joseph Endo there. Um, really great to have him, as I said earlier. Um, we'll play the second half of the interview on next week's show when you get more Sligo Rovers related content um, from Joey there. So, okay, so we've completed uh, a series of games. We started off uh, against Dundalk and uh, we faced them again. So, Sean, just before we broke there for the for the Joseph and Doe interview, uh, you had mentioned Johnny Kenny coming on for Parks in the Pats game. Um, so, is that the, the the front three? Is that the attacking lineup that you want to see uh, from the off against Dundalk? Yeah, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see. Um... Kenny start as the nine, leave Gibson in as the ten. I'd I'd leave Burnout wide right as well, and Walter on the left because I just think it it allows you to interchange throughout the game as well. Leaving Kenny up top on his own, like you can have Gibson drop out wide and Burn come into the middle, or Figueroa come into the middle and Burn switch over to the left. You know, they're all equally as good in each position. So I think it gives you a lot of tactical options there as well. And I just think Kenny, the way he le he leads the line is perfect for the way we want to play. I think you've seen against uh, Pats as well, the way he was able to come in and just play with quick one-twos with Walter and that and get into space quickly. It's it's exactly what we need for the way we want to play and the fast kind of counter-attacking football we want. Uh, Jerry, are you happy with the idea of Romeo Park starting from the bench? Yeah. Um, and I'd agree with... The lineup that Sean just said there, and I'd probably go as far as to say um, it would be unfair on Johnny Kenny mm -hmm. to play Romeo with them because as a young lad playing in the game, playing the lines tough, and you need someone there to it's gonna I suppose back you up. And if I was Johnny Kenny and I seen Romeo playing with Romeo again, I'd be pissed off. To be honest. I I don't think I don't I don't think it'd be right. I don't think you're protecting young fella by putting him up there and having that fella in behind him. So so what's the issue with Rome at the moment? Like I said at the start of this season that um, we were we were playing a very different game when it was Romeo and Coughlin, um two seasons ago, uh, leading the line. We were very much on the break, um, whereas this year with the development of the squad, we're I guess we're we're looking to um, we're looking to try and control games a little bit more and be a little bit more um, tactical about um, how we how we we play the game. So, McGill, maybe maybe this style of play, more build up through the thirds, doesn't suit Romeo Parks. Um, yeah, maybe it doesn't, but that's not the real issue, though. It it's um, I guess it's just as general. His all-round play, like his touch and his 
his awareness and chances of making the wrong decisions the other night. Like that's that's nothing to do with our style of play. That's just um, him himself within within his own self before the style of play even comes into it. Do you know, I think like if if that's going to be the case, like this game at the weekend will probably suit him down to the ground. So because these fellas will have you would imagine more possession of the ball, and we'll be trying to hit them on the break. So if he does happen to start this weekend we should be seeing a good performance out of him. So if that's the case, but I don't think it will be because I think it's not, it's not the side of play that is problem at the minute. It's, it's just, he's not in form. Like I know it seems that we're, we're bagging out Romeo now the whole time and we're coming down hard, but it's only because we've seen what he can do and we know what he's capable of and we know he's, he's capable a lot better than he's shown at the minute. So that's the only reason I think that everybody's is, on about him at the minute it's just because they know what he can do and they want to see him do it I think the standard of the level of performance the other players on the team as well have have been playing to this season has kind of shown him up a little bit more as well and you even see the likes of young Kenny stepping in and young Mark Barron coming in and they're coming in and they don't look out of place whatsoever they've just slotted straight in and they look excellent and I think it is just showing Romeo up that little bit more as well Yeah, look, it's not really our style um, look, we're in episode 24 of this, right? And you might, it's very rare that we would complain or criticize a player. Um, probably we are being a bit hard on Romeo. And as Magoo said, look, we've seen what he was like in 2019. Um, he, he doesn't look the same player, um, just in terms of concentration, touch, things like that, aptitude. Look, as football fans, and we're the most. I think we're pretty damn dirty as football fans and, and you know, we don't lot, expect a lot, but we expect a shift. And that just doesn't seem to be coming at the moment. That's all we want. And yeah. I think, Jerry, just be, to expand on be, that point as well, sorry, just, just and, and you're right in saying it as well, that we don't want to be, sound like we're coming too hard down on our player here. I think a lot of it comes with, we know what Romeo's capable of. We've seen what he's all about. And when we've seen flashes again against Bohemians of what he's all about and what he can bring to the table, and you've seen the finish against Waterford as well and the goal against Dundalk. There's been little flashes. It's just not being consistent. And yeah. we want to see consistency because we want to be challenging at the right end this season. And that's yeah. everyone and needs to be on their game. Also, I just say, like, there could be other issues as well surrounding that we don't know. Like, the, yeah. you know, it could be, yeah. there could be some personal issues or there could be any sort of issues that we don't. And, like, if that's the case, I, what I would say was just take them out of the firing line for a week or two. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Should, no harm... Uh, okay. Recharges batteries. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, we, um, so yeah, that's Dundalk that we play up next. And um, at the start of the season, we spoke to Ken from the Dundalk fan cast, the men who save football, and he joined us again uh, this week to give us uh, thoughts from Oriel Park going into the fixture. Okay. So uh, something of a first, I'm going to say that we're going for a, a similar cast uh, here between. The Men Who Save Football podcast and the Bitter Red Supporters Trust. We're joined by Ken Sloan from the Men Who Save Football podcast, the Dundalk Fancast. Um, and we've had Ken on before and we've had other members of uh, the Men Who Save Football on the podcast before. Uh, obviously, uh, ahead of the next fixture for Sligo Rovers and Dundalk. So, Ken, the last time I spoke to you was at the very start of the season. Obviously, we finished the first round of games. So, um, we've come full circle. Um, you know, you didn't say it at the time, but I know you were thinking um, that it's just a matter of time before Jim Magilton is 
in some shape or form manager or interim manager. So um, has how long did how long did you think that was going to take, and did it happen in that time frame? Well, I suppose that was the the big question was how our season was going to go. Um, we were kind of putting a brave face on it because uh, Filippo Giovagnoli had kind of. He had made a statement just after the uh, cup final when his stock was very high. And we were wondering, is this guy against all odds going to become so, some sort of cult hero that, you know, just defies logic and without experience and without qualifications, just, you know, keeps Dundalk uh, on an upward trajectory. Um, it didn't take long for um, the, the wheels to come off this season. Um, one of the big gambits that he made was he, he said that he, he tried to reassure Dundalk fans not to worry about departures that there was, to quote quote him, he said there were so many good players out there that he'd have no problem replenishing the squad and we shouldn't worry about the departure of stalwarts. But, I mean, we were all, fans instinctively thought there was something very, very wrong when players like Sean Gannon, Sean Hoare, Dan Massey and uh, John Mountney were being let go without even serious offers being put on the table for them. And really, Filippo's credibility was bound up in the players that replaced them. And so far... We've seen that Sonny Nadestad has only played one competitive game due to injury, um, international call-ups, and then subsequent injury and suspension as well. Uh, we see that we've got a goalkeeping crisis. We seem to have brought in an experienced keeper and an inexperienced keeper, and neither one has quite worked out. And the team has really struggled for form and consistency. The recruitment has been rather chaotic. We have players still arriving into the squad, and we've quarter way through the season, and they don't seem to be up to match fitness. So I suppose all of those things, as well as a little bit of bad luck, because in fairness, the game against Shamrock Rovers, which was the third game in, we we didn't play particularly well, but we hit the woodwork twice and forced a few decent saves from Manus, and that could have been a pivotal game that might have saved Gio Gagnoli. But really, the form was too inconsistent, and that was a feature of last season as well. So um, very quickly, the, the moods darkened. And once again, I think I said last time we were chatting, if the results were right, nobody would mind who was in charge or whether it was Keegan, whether it was Vignoli, but, uh, Joe Vignoli. But once, they, once the results were very, very poor and we dropped down towards the bottom of the table, um, the spotlight went back on the management structure. And uh, I think it was, um, it was Filippo himself who eventually made the decision to, to depart. And of course, Jim Magilton was already made replacement. Um, so uh, nine games played, uh, two wins, four draws, three losses. Like um, obviously, it's not the sort of form that you're used to, but um, it's not the end of the world either. To, to in some respects, and from listening to your podcast as well, um, some of the guys, some of the conversations that you have, um, you know, you, you still have quality of player, um, but I think. Um, your take in it is that you maybe you have uh, too many round pegs for round holes and not enough square pegs. Well, I think that's the point because um, when you look, for example, at St. Patrick's Athletic who have done very well this season and even yourselves who have recruited quite quite shrewdly, like I think Greg Bulger like brings a quality to Sligo Rovers midfield that perhaps was absent. You know, his, his temperament alone probably makes the whole unit function a little bit more competitively. But if you also look at Pats, the way they recruited, they did the very simple thing of recruiting the right player for the right position so they can field at 11 who are all at home where they're playing on the pitch. We seem to have just this haphazard approach to recruitment. Like the first player we went after was a left winger from Korea who, as, as you know, like we have Michael Duffy, who's going to be in that position week in, week out. I think everybody would acknowledge he's 
the best in that position or one of the best in that position in the league. And we also seem to go looking to recruit an abundance of centre forwards and we had massive turnover in the defence, but really none of those needed all that much attention. With David McMillan and Patrick Hogan, you kind of, we've only ever played with one centre forward for the last six or seven years. So you kind of, you're covered there. But to bring in two more just seemed rather odd. And of course, we have all bemoaned the absence of a box-to-box midfielder and a number 10 for quite some time. But those positions weren't really strengthened. And now we have to rely on players who are injury-prone and often out of form. So I think what we're paying the price for is a really what, what now seems to have passed as a really catastrophic uh, transfer window where we, we had a huge turnover in squad. Um, but we didn't really address a lot of the shortcomings or weaknesses that needed to be strengthened. Um, okay, so let's look ahead to to the game coming up, um, and in the context of the games that you've played so far, you you are scoring goals. You've you've scored more goals than than Slager Rovers have scored, but um, and it's been a trend across the season. Goalkeepers have let you down. A lot of goalkeepers have have um, come unstuck. So, are you ahead of the game with Rovers? Um, if you can shore things up at the back, you must believe that you've got an opportunity to to do some damage. Yeah, like I'm, uh, well, at the moment there's a little bit of an injury crisis up front with both Patrick Huben and David McMillan out, but that still leaves you with Junior, who you guys would know is a player who can score, did win the Golden Boot a few seasons ago and led the line against Longford and did get on the score sheet. But really, the problem has been sort of in the other units, um, uncharacteristically. So, I mean, if you look at the personnel that we've got available in the defence. They are players who in the past have been rock solid. Uh, Daniel Cleary, Andy Boyle um, were playing a, a one of the recruits from abroad that has worked out is Ravis Jokowskis, who's been impressive at fullback, um, putting in some, you know, really decent displays. But and as well as that, we're playing two defensive midfielders, partly because we've recruited so many of them. But we were very, very porous against Longford and we have conceded almost as many goals as we, as we scored. Um, so it's a real puzzler. I know that the goalkeeping question kind of is quite conspicuous, but it's puzzling why Dundalk have become so open and so vulnerable to conceding goals. Um, and it really kind of makes you feel that there is something beyond the players that isn't quite right. And uh, we we were hoping Jim Magilton might be able to put that right. But um, I think the last display against Longford was somewhat demoralizing in that we gave ourselves such a mountain to climb. Uh, by conceding two very, very soft goals, almost pulled it out of the bag, but just seemed to be just plagued by inconsistency, which has really been uncharacteristic of these players over the last few years. And I suppose the question is, uh, it brings it all back to, to, the, to the management and the decision about 12 months ago to depart with Vinnie Perth. And really the, the problems can be traced back to that point. And of course, the, the off-field activity, which foreshadowed that. Okay, so last question from me. Um, you mentioned Vinnie Perth there. Um, the manager's position obviously is a hot topic. Um, it's hard to see who is go- who's going to come and fill that role on a permanent basis. Um, I guess Magilton, is Magilton a candidate for, for the position? He's ruled himself out uh, consistently, uh, said that he isn't interested. And that may be related to the fact that his sports director role is, um, well, you could say that the, the survival rate of sports directors or directors of football is a lot is a lot longer than uh, managers. But um, he also seems to have a different vision um, and, and a different role. So he has repeatedly said he's not interested in 
the job full term. Um, so that does leave it open to, to, to the new recruit. Uh, whoever it is, you know, the decision is going to be pivotal as to whether this decline um, becomes, you know, longer term. Uh, but I guess, you know, you're kind of entering a lottery situation if you're bringing somebody in from outside of the league, unless, well, no, I mean, that's that, maybe that's not true. I mean, you know, prior to um, Giovagnoli's appointment or during his appointment, maybe people had said, oh, maybe we should have got somebody in who's previously had European football experiences in European competition. Um, so can, can Dundalk attract that type of manager? Well, it seems that um, the one thing that we do have is, um, you know, the owners, Peak Six, do have abundant financial resources. I mean, they've stated their ambition is European football. But right now, that seems to be quite in jeopardy. And a lot, I suppose it's it's in keeping with the protests you see in England. A lot of people are beginning to turn the spotlight on the ownership itself, the decisions they have made and also the decisions they are about to make. And they're really questioning now whether success is compatible with uh, the style of leadership that we've had from the boardroom. And one of the big questions that's been asked by Dundalk fans is, um, well, just how far the club has drifted into the control of one man who doesn't seem to have the expertise to make footballing decisions, but is insisting on a direct role in them. And also another question is, will any manager who is demanding control of the dressing room really going to be given the job at Dundalk or is a requirement of the job at Dundalk now to be sort of um, middle management effectively, to be be implementing the vision of the chairman. And we see in the last 12 months uh, pursuing the chairman's vision has been very detrimental to the club. Ken, really quickly before you go, what do you what do you anticipate might happen um, when the two teams meet again for the second time this season? Well, I mean, it's really difficult to say what Dundalk you will encounter. Um, we've had some decent displays once again. Like if you look at the players that are there, I mean, they have sufficient quality to on their day compete with any other team. Um, but just the only consistent thing about them this year is that inconsistency. Um, and uh, I think Sligo are probably more settled. And I think they travel to Oriel Park with every expectation that they can get a result. Um, Dundalk are capable, like I say, but right now they're not showing the level of consistency and performance. We're relying very much on the old, regular, reliable players that have been there since the Stephen Kenny era. And um, whether or not our newfound signings will get match fit and, and, and hit form, well, that remains to be seen. So I think uh, uh, you know, a result for uh, uh, we, we could we could perhaps see something similar to last time. A, uh, a draw wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be an unexpected result. Like Rovers robbery, you mean? <laughs> well, true. I have to admit to that one. Um, you know, I think I think like what that was one of the sobering things about the start of the season was that um, Dundalk got a point in the showgrounds and they were lucky to get it. That's Ken there from the Men Who Save Football. So, yeah, that's our next game. Uh, we are up in Oriel Park for Dundalk. Um, before I ask you, Sean, about um, the fact that we've played everybody so far in the league, um, any last thoughts on the Waterford game? What, what, what do you anticipate? What do you expect? Uh, 
Like they, they've scored. In, sorry, in a Waterford game. What am I on about? The Dundalk game. They've scored in um, in all their fixtures. I'm pretty sure. Um, so there's going to be goals. I'd imagine. I think we probably, if we want to win, we probably have to score twice at least. Yeah, maybe. So um, they've also been leaking goals quite easily as well, though. So I think we just touching on our forward line again. I think we're more than capable of uh, exploiting them. And you know, I think if we turn up, we'd be well capable of getting at least two or three. Um, I. Again, I, don't, I go up there without much fear, to be honest with you. I haven't, you know, I haven't seen much from Dundalk this season to say that they're getting any better. They picked up a couple of results, but then you watch them again against Longford and they were a calamity. So I, I think we can go there and win, to be honest with you. And we kind of, I feel that we kind of deserve it anyway at this stage. Like, you know, I think yeah. that everything we've been through, um, what happened in the first game of the season, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of justice. Jerry, what are you expecting um, up in Oriel Park? Yeah, I'll go there with no fear either. Um, there's no reason why we can't even get a win. And I think, um, you know, I know it's a, it's, a, it's a plastic pitch, and but it's a quick, fast pitch. So it might actually suit our style of play and trying to hit them on the break and using our pace in the, in the attacking areas. Um, so, yeah, and it's live on RTE too. So hopefully we put on a, a good performance and show the country how good of a, a football team that we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so we played everybody, Sean. Um, played everybody once. What are, what are your thoughts? Where are you happy with? Overall, are you happy with how things have gone so far? Really happy. Really, really happy. Yeah, uh, I think we've been really good. I think we went out excelling, which is even better again because it just shows there's room for growth in this side going forward throughout the season. Um, we're a young side, and I think. We are slowly building on what we have. Like I know a couple of us have set expectations a wee bit too high, but I think we're coming in exactly where we need to be. We're in third. We're still in around a title race that I said many a time now that I don't think we're we're a part of. But it's nice to be sniffing around it. Um, but no, all in all, I think how could you not be happy? One loss in the first round of games. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Joey, what's your takeaway from the first round of games? Um. What's my takeaway? Um, yeah, I, I think like we have, I think we've still got a couple of gears to go through. Um, I think we're only scratching the surface of what we can or how we can play. Uh, we showed glimpses of it in, say, against Waterford, against Bowes and things like that. And I think we we can click. Um, and I think we will click. And I think we could, you know, we could we could have a serious serious side there. Uh, we were probably three quarters of the way there, and I suppose that's it. Just a little bit of frustration, just coming back to Romeo again. And I, I don't want to be giving him a hard time and all that, but I just think for in order for us to kick, we need him to kick too. Uh, he's that important to us, and right, okay. that's that's really it. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 what I was going to ask you. Do we need Romeo in, in order to make this happen? I, I don't I, I don't think it's all right in Romeo. I think um, what I'd like to see for you know the rest of the season or going forward is. A little more um, dominance of, of the ball and just less coughing up of uh, easy turnovers because, you know, I guess we were trying to impose ourselves on the game a little bit more, yeah. be a little bit more tactical about, um, you know, how we deliver our game plans. And, and if you're turning the board, ball over so often, it's hard to keep that structure in your game, you know, and it makes things difficult for your front three. It's difficult to be where you're supposed to be. When you're, when, you're, not, when you're chasing, yeah. What, what I've started to do as well, I've started, I know it's a kind of a shitty thing to do, but I started counting passes, consecutive passes. You know, we don't really get above five or six 
enough, you know, for for your wingers to know where they need to be, for, you know, your number 10 to find position, for Bulger to drop in, you know, for the structure of the team to be set, I guess, you know. So I guess that's what I'd like to see, that more kind of consecutive passes. And, um, yeah. Uh, I think because it's such, such a, a competitive league as well, you know, you're not, you don't get a game where, you, you very rarely get a game where you can kind of really express yourself and open up and, you know, get um, get that chance. Sometimes you need a game or two where you really dominate to get to that next um, to, to get to where you're talking about. I think. Yeah, I, I think I, most most sides have started with a really high intensity this season. So yeah, like every every game we've come into now, you're nearly talking about it. You know how high they pressed, how you know they didn't give you a second on the ball, and I think we're the same as well. Most teams would say the same about playing us as well. That you know. The intensity we bring to the game is is second to none. Even and I look, you look at the Pats game, especially it was two teams that really did press each other, and the turnover in possession was was unreal. Every, they were they were constantly get, we were forcing them into mistakes all the time, but they were also doing the exact same to us. I think I even looked at the stats earlier on that I think both sides had in around seventy percent pass completion, you know, which is poor enough for two teams that would look to control the possession and would consider themselves very tidy on the ball. Yeah, is it has have you? Do you think the season has been different somehow um, with the kind of fan-led content that's out there? It seems that there's a different kind of buzz around the place. Maybe it's just because we're we're involved in the podcast <laughs> and it feels different for me. But it does feel like there's like the engagement levels have outside of the stadium or the the grounds that the engagement levels have, in spite of traditional media, it feels it feels a little bit different. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, I suppose you only have to look at ourselves that, you know, we have the aftermatch reception and we have the podcast and we've kind of gone from having nothing to having a lot of content. And I suppose the the lockdown has kind of uh, it's given us that opportunity. Like, I suppose this all kind of started because I put a question up on Twitter. What would fans like to see happen? And we got responses back like your own. And I suppose... We had that time to to think how to put it together, um, and it's kind of grown from there. And I suppose with technology, people can get this content into their their hand at any given moment. Like, so it's brilliant. It's the way things are going. It's yeah. technology. I think it's come in at a really important time in football as well because I think if you look across the water there in England and what's going on with uh, recently with the Super Leagues and whatnot but also with the likes of VAR and everything else and no fans and stadiums and people watching telly on that, I think there's a real disconnect now with people that are watching English football and stuff and they're actually craving more of a homegrown thing and yeah. they want to support their local team as much. And I suppose when the content is available, it's easier to get involved with a club again. It's easier now to stick on a podcast and you get right up to date about what's going on instead of, you know, maybe switch it on and say, oh, who's that player? Who's that? Where did he come from? You kind of, you get more of a background now on everything else that's going on around the club. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it helped bring it helped bring fans in big time. Um, okay, so before we finish up, uh, Jerry, there's an event that um, uh, is coming up. It's a, a partnership or a charity partnership um, that's like Rovers have um, with the Alzheimer's Society. Is that right? Yeah, so Rovers uh, uh, charity partner this year is the Alzheimer's Society. Um, and they're having a, a tea day tomorrow, so um, you can tomorrow, join tomorrow in. Thursday, right? Sorry, tomorrow. Yeah. So when this goes out, it will be that day. Today. Um, <laughs> today, yeah, jeez. Today, tonight. Um, 
yeah, so it's on Thursday, which is the day the podcast goes out. So it'll be on in and around when the podcast goes out. So you can join through Zoom or you can make a donation through the Cyber Rovers website to the Alzheimer's Society, you know, to the, the day centre out in uh, more, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a really good charity. Okay. Um, we lost Magoo along the way. He had to um, <laughs> introduce some bits and bobs. So on behalf of Magoo, very good night. And uh, thanks for... Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, Sean, thanks for joining us. Thanks a million, Connor. Thanks, Jerry. And Jerry, we'll see you, Magoo, and Sean after the Dundalk game uh, on YouTube, yeah? Yeah. So it'd probably kick off around 9.50, just with the, the later kickoff time. Well, the normal kickoff time, 7.45 uh, okay. on Friday. And just reminding you, the game is on RTE, so we'll catch it there. And... Um, um, yeah, that's that's it. That's a wrap. We'll wrap it up. Thanks yeah. to our sponsors. Thanks to the White Hag. Thanks to Barry Creed, Sisters, Sligo, and Dublin. And we'll leave it there. Cheers, lads. Thanks, Connor. Thanks, John. Fuck, 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 fuck